So who's some of the news this, I mean, there was a lot of news this week with WWDC and, and everything else happening, but the thing that stuck with me is an article that I read on a formal, former Google executive, and I'll try to pronounce this right, Sridhar uh, Ramasawami. Uh, sorry, I probably butchered that name horribly. He was running Google's advertising arm, which was over $100 billion. He got disillusioned. He made a jump. He made a startup called Neva, N-E-E-V-A, for people who want to go look it up. And the whole thing that they want to work on is privacy and sort of this uh, taking back control of your data. We have talked about this so much, so I thought this would be a great way to kick this off. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I love the pause. <laughs> so why why I thought this was interesting. Great segue there, Goose. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's great to talk about uh, this. I just want to know where you're going because... Uh, where I'm going is right to the Digital Bill of Rights. Okay, good. So, so many times on this podcast, we've talked about privacy. We've talked about concern over personal data. Here's a company that took it on. They have a digital bill of rights, and I absolutely think they have completely failed at it. And for two specific reasons. Wait, 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 wait. What, what? The intro of the digital bill of rights is where we need to start before you have two points about it. Okay, fine. Start in the intro. It says, just like our country's bill of rights guarantees a core set of privileges for every American, we at Neva, we don't know what that is, Believe that you should have basic rights when you use the internet. I, this, this entire thing and why I was laughing about it before we went on the air, it smacks of what we were talking about with Quibi, with Tidal before that. Like, here's a really rich tech executive who seems to be in their insular bubble, bereft of understanding actual users or anything about how this is going to work. And is like, let me save the world. Let me save everything. It just smacks of arrogance the digital bill of rights, which I do love the idea, but it tells me a bunch of stuff like we believe, we think this, but it doesn't actually tell me anything that they are doing, right? It just says like, we believe. I'm like, so so what are you actually doing here? What are you trying to accomplish? And there's, there's already a couple of privacy focused search engines out there. I use one. It's called DuckDuckGo and it doesn't save anything when you search. It's so they're, they're acting like they invented something and it's like super important. They don't let you try their product. And there's already a competitor out there that does a good job. So back to Quibi, right? It's like, did you hear of Facebook? Did you hear of YouTube or Instagram or TikTok? Like, I'm not sure. Clearly you haven't. And so when I went to the website, because I read the whole article on it, I went to the website. So I'm like, okay, about, tell me about this. And all it does is show me the people who started it. And their show titles. me their investors. Like it, it, yeah. Oh, and their titles. Yeah, sorry, founder, CEO, and it's just, oh my god! I just want to scream at somebody and be like, "Get the f off your high horse! Make a product I can use. Tell me what the product's going to do for me, and stop telling me how you're going to save the world with privacy." Good God! Like it's just, it's everything that I wanted, and it was nothing. I'm sorry. No, it was everything that I had hoped I wanted, and it never came through. And I was just disappointed. I'm, I'm going to join the wait list. And in the meantime, I'm going to tell Google all my deepest secrets because I don't care until they release their stuff. <sighs> okay. So anyway, so for people listening, go check that out. It's, it's just an interesting situation where I think that uh, people just get so disconnected from how to actually create products or launch products that I find it just <sighs> maddening sometimes. It, it, it really bothers me. 
the thing we actually wanted to talk about this week is something we kicked off last week, which was sort of how we look at design in the future and what we're going to be doing. I thought that was a really interesting topic, and I thought spending five minutes on that would be interesting as well. Because, Chus, we talked last time about uh, Replica. That's Replica with a K. Mm-hmm. And the whole idea that design in that case was more linguistics and social science than it was what we normally think of design. And that got us into a conversation, and we've talked about this over the last week, where is design going? What exactly will design be, you know, a decade from now? Because I can't imagine it's going to be what it is now. You know, what it is now, what we see people teaching is all service design. So that's changed. So where are we going in the next 10 years? I, I think many of these jobs are kind of invented on the spot. And I, I'm going to go back to my mindset principle that design is a mindset, but not a skill set. It's not material that you know about. It's the way you approach a problem. You really try to understand the problem. You try to understand the space that it lives in, what people need to to do, what they already have as mental baggage on how to do these things and how can we help them better and either remove the problem or improve the experience of working around things. I love that idea that design's a mindset and not a skill set because it aligns with something that I've believed for decades now, which is this idea of design as a discipline essentially came out of what is a... How do I say this? An absence of skill, right? Like I believe that people who work in business should have a design mindset, meaning an end user mindset, an empathetic mindset, an understanding of problems first. But the fact that they didn't all of a sudden gave rise to this discipline of design that had to be user focused. But I'm sort of like, our our discipline shouldn't exist as it is. It was just because other disciplines didn't do what they should be doing. Yeah, I, I love the intro of this this older article that you found because this is a forever ongoing debate because people won't accept the fact that the jobs of the future haven't been invented yet. We always act like they should have already existed. So the intro says, yesterday's graphic designers are today's UX designers. No, they're not. A graphic designer mostly designs non-interactive objects. So they design something that you have to look at and read and parse the information from either a poster, a book cover, a signage around an airport. That's where you see graphic designers come in. And UX designers deal with interactive products. You test that completely differently. You build that completely differently. Why would you approach that in the same way when you're designing it? So let me take that one step further. And I fully agree with what you're saying. If I look towards where things are going with augmented and virtual reality, I see so many designers, UI designers, people who do two-dimensional mobile design, mobile design, which has all these patterns that exist already, right? You have toolkits and all these things, and they're like, oh, of course I can do VR, I can do AR, but it's a completely different area. It's a completely different skill set. Yes, you have the same mindset, but there are different tools and skills associated with that. And I think the designers, again, going back to the arrogance of our digital bill of rights at the beginning, designers can't be arrogant and just assuming they can jump over and take on other jobs because they're a quote unquote designer. Designer doesn't give you leeway to just do whatever you want and say, I can, I can make anything, right? Yeah. So I've, I have a great analogy here from, from like a different business. So uh, the new TV series, The Mandalorian, Star Wars. It's been directed by a guy who's never directed live action before. And he was kind of selected to come into LucasArts and, uh, and all of the Star Wars 
He was selected by George Lucas himself during an interview that he completely bonked. You can you can look on Disney Plus or maybe on YouTube to see how his interviewing process went and how he went so weird about it. But the reason this guy got hired was that during his interview, he wasn't talking about directing. He wasn't talking about how he would run uh, the animation department that they were uh, talking to him about. He had a discussion with George Lucas about sort of the content of Star Wars, what a Jedi would do in a certain situation. And they had a long discussion about that. So imagine the inventor of the whole story of Star Wars discussing with a fellow sort of nerd. And that's what he got hired on. And that's why I'm talking about mindset versus skill set. Dave Filoni came in there with a lot of knowledge about Star Wars and very little knowledge about what he meant to do. But because he already knew the area and he had the mindset of somebody who can be flexible in that space, George Lucas was like, he's going to at least stay true to the story and he's going to learn the other things. And so that's sort of understanding the essence of the project and where you want to go and having a love for something, right? If you have a love for something, you will work harder than you ever have to figure it out. You said something last week, Chus, that I thought was beautiful, which was this idea that, you know, what you studied in school didn't necessarily apply to Frog, didn't apply to Raft, didn't apply to Argo, right? There, You know, you didn't go and get an education to join a company. You took your career into your own hands and you wanted to learn these things. You developed that mindset and you developed some baseline skills. But then you started figuring, what do I need to do next? And so many designers, I, I again, I find there's like, like, oh, well, I can do this naturally. No, take on that desire, take on that drive, take on that interest. If you want to get into something, you know, I like, I can't design at the moment. I'm not going to be the best at working in VR. I can, I can try it, but if I really wanted to get into it, man, I need to spend a lot more time. I need to spend my weekends looking at it. I need to go buy an Oculus. I really need to understand what it's about. Once I did that, then I can have that mindset. Then I can start to move into the space. Yeah. But Chus, I think you captured it perfectly where, you know, take, take things into your own hands in a way. Yeah. You need to get your 10,000 hours in the material that you're going to be working with. And VR is very different material than mobile applications is very different material than furniture design. Just just to name one that we always talk about. But it's it's just important that you get this experience in the material. And the, the mindset tells you about how to attack a problem and which steps, which conceptual steps to take to get towards a solution. But then the actual experience and, and knowledge you, you gain by doing it. A designer will probably never be good at the first thing he does within a new discipline, like VR, like what are they naming here uh, avatar programmers or uh, uh this is from four years ago to be fair this is by the way the article we're referring to is called the most important design jobs of the future it's a fast company article yeah it's it, or embodied interaction designer like it i'm sorry i i i hate i hate making us as designers sound interesting using these words it's it's not okay i'll, I'll stop reading this list <laughs> fusionist what the hell <laughs> I, I do think the one that I loved on there was conductor, which I, I think has basically is what service design is, right? So I do think in that level, there was something. I think that was Bill, Bo was that Bill Boxton that said yeah. that one? Yep. That, that was a nice one. I can imagine for designers, there'll be a lot more around organizational design, a lot more around whether that's linguistics, social science, uh, futurists, those types of things. But I see those as complete offshoots. So I do wonder if the skills I have now are going to be relevant in 10 years. 
But that's, of course, why I'm always questioning. I'm always wondering. I'm always adapting. I'm not trying to endure. I'm trying to adapt. Yeah, exactly. You need to stay up with the latest of whatever the direction is that you're going to be designing in. Have, have you ever figured out that there's no, no startup design consultancies? Startups always focus hard on a single vertical because they want to become experts at that. Why do we think as designers that we can just do that because we're innately good at soaking up new knowledge? No, we need the time. Well, if, if you're a startup, you shouldn't hire a consultancy, frankly. Like Any startup that you see right now is very good at something small. Like Neva says they're very good at privacy search, right? Uh, Juicero said we're very good at getting juice out of very small packets. They do one thing and they do it well because then it becomes well describable and you can get investors to invest into whatever the future is of that small idea. You get everybody looking the same way and you get knowledge on that very small topic so you can beat out the competition. There's no startup that is a design consultancy with designers that say we can attack any problem because that's too wide. You can't be an expert at design by itself. You need to be an expert at the matter that you're designing in as well. That's why we have large discovery tracks whenever we go to a new client. We need to find out lots of things. What have they done before? What has gone wrong? Who are your users? What is the matter that we're working in? We need that time. I agree. And I think we're out of time for this one. Yeah. So, Chris, I'll talk to you next week. Bye, man. Later, man. Bye.